Amen. Let us turn in our scriptures to the book of Genesis. We are in Genesis chapter 20 today, looking at Abraham and Abimelech. We will look backwards as we begin our discussion today of Genesis chapter 20. We will look backward to 18 as we talk about it um, and see how this uh, episode in Abraham's life connects to that episode as well. But hear the word of the Lord from Genesis chapter 20. Now Abraham moved on from there into the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while he stayed in Gerar, and there Abraham said of his wife Sarah, She is my sister. Then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, You are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She is a married woman. Now Abimelech had not gone near her, so he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And didn't she also say he is my brother? I have done this with a clear conscience and with clean hands. Then God said to him in a dream, yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience, and so I have kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all yours will die. Early the next morning, Abimelech summoned all his officials, and when he told them all that had happened, they were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham in and said, What have you done to us? How have I wronged you that you have brought such great guilt upon me and my kingdom? You have done things to me that should not be done. And Abimelech asked Abraham, What is your reason for doing this? Abraham replied, I said to myself, There's surely no fear of God in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not of my mother. And she became my wife. And when God had me wander from my father's household, I said to her, This is now... or." This is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. Then Abimelech brought sheep and cattle and male and female slaves and gave them to Abraham, and he returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, My land is before you. Live wherever you like. To Sarah he said, I am giving your brother a thousand shekels of silver. This is to cover the offense against you before all who are with you. You are completely vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his slave girls, so they could have children again. For the Lord had closed up every womb in Abimelech's household because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. Let us pray. Our Lord God and Father, we do ask that you speak to us today. Speak to us through your word. Speak to us through me. And show us where we need to be more like you, expose to us our sins, expose to us your grace that covers those sins and that grace that reconciles us to you. Lord, as we look toward Abraham's life, we're going to see patterns. Show us the patterns in our own lives so that we might confess them and so that we might work by the power of the Holy Spirit to correct those patterns so that we might pursue you more and more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So have you ever made an assumption about a situation or about people in your life uh, based on facts that maybe uh, you are intimately familiar with or maybe just facts that you are assuming because these people or this situation uh, remind you of other stereotypical uh, people or situations? When you make these assumptions, have you ever made a decision or taken action based on those assumptions that might not have worked out as you thought they would or might have worked out actually to your, to your harm or to their harm. That's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at some actions that Abraham took based on assumptions he made about the residents of Canaan. And we're going to see how those actions not only endangered himself, but endangered the seed that, promised, that God had promised to give him and, and endangered the people of Canaan as well. And hopefully as we look at these shocking sinful patterns, as we look at... God's response to those patterns, and as we look at God's sovereign control over all things, we are going to see that we should learn to trust in the sovereign and faithful God of an unfaithful people. So first, shocking sinful patterns. For us to understand the depth of Abraham's failure in this passage, we need to go back to a passage we looked at several months ago, which was Genesis chapter 18. We've taken some time off for the Ten Commandments and such, and we looked a couple weeks ago at God's dealing with Lot and with Sodom and Gomorrah, but we need to remember what happened in Genesis chapter 18. Remember, in that chapter, God and two of His angelic messengers come and visit with Abraham and Sarah at their home in the, in the area of Mamre. And while they are there, Abraham hosts them and provides for them a meal. He provides for them a place to rest from the heat of the day. And then after the meal, after their rest, the God and his two messengers leave Abraham and, and he follows them for a while as they're discussing Sodom and Gomorrah. And God, as he and Abraham, as he overhears this discussion, he interjects himself into him, into the discussion, and he says, God, I, I know you're a just God. I know you're a good God. I know you're a God who protects your people, who protects the righteous. And so if you find 50 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah, will you, will you destroy them along with the wicked? Because that just doesn't sound like you. And God says, no, for 50 people, I will spare Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham says, OK, OK, I know Sodom and Gomorrah. How about 45 people? And God says, OK, for 45 people. And, and this goes back and forth. Abraham uh, almost bargains his way down to 10 righteous people. He says, God, you're a good God. You're a God who sustains the righteous. If you can find 10 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah, will you preserve those two cities? And God says, yes, if I can find 10 righteous people. And we know from Genesis 19 that God was unable to find those 10 righteous people. But the important thing for us to consider as we look at Genesis 20 is, look how, look how much... Abraham understood who God was. Look how deep the faith was that Abraham had in God to remember God's good, God's righteous, God takes care of the righteous, and God will spare the wicked for the sake of the righteous. It was this moment of great faith in Abraham's life, knowing who God was and applying it to this life circumstance. And it's in that context that we look at Abraham and Sarah now in the city of Gerar with the people of Canaan. And it's in that context that the shock of Abraham's failure should roll over us. 
I mean, here he is. He has made an assumption about the people of Canaan. He has said that the people of Canaan do not fear God. Now, this is a little bit different than the fear of the Lord that we're used to, to hearing about. Uh, the fear of the Lord is that respect that people have for God when they meet Him face to face. It's a combination of awe and worship and just being humbled before God and reaching out to Him and embracing Him as their only hope. The fear of God that Abraham talks about here is this sense of a knowledge that people have of the law of God. There are, we looked at the Ten Commandments over the last several months, and there are five of those that, that show up on a regular basis throughout society. You shall not murder, shall not steal, shall not bear false witness, um, shall not commit adultery. And, and honoring your father and your mother. Those five honoring authority, those five commandments show up oftentimes in cultures that do not even embrace God as their Lord, as their King, that do not have His special revelation of the Scriptures. And, and that's the idea that Abraham says here. He says, these people don't know God. These people in Canaan don't even know or realize His law. So I have to protect myself I have to work to protect myself from these people who are lawless. And so Abraham and Sarah say, these people don't know God, they don't know His law, so I am going to take matters into my own hands because I'm not sure I trust God to protect me in His promises. So Abraham makes these assumptions. And then there's fear based on these assumptions. And then he takes actions based on these fears and that's what lands him in trouble here. Why is this shocking to us? Think about Abraham's life from the time we've met him in Genesis chapter 12. Up to this point now, think of everything God has promised Abraham and think of everything God has done to keep those promises for Abraham. Get up and leave your land and I'll take you to a land that I will show you. He gets up and leaves and God leads him to this land. He has protected him from his sin in Egypt. Remember, this is the second time this type of event has occurred. In Genesis chapter 12, we're told that he goes to Egypt and the, the king's officials see Sarah as beautiful and they take Sarah and so he lies to protect his own life. Uh, there's a lot of similarities in this event uh, and differences from that event there. But God protected him in that, even in his own sin. And so over these 25 or so years that God has been providing for Abraham in this, in this strange land, he is a stranger in a strange land, Abraham has learned a lot about God, that he's a promise-keeping God, and yet Abraham doesn't trust those promises in this instance. He trusts, his own, he trusts in his own uh, scheming. He trusts in his own wisdom. And he sets up for us a pattern here. He gets the, the nation, the city of Gerar and his king. He gets them in trouble because this king is in danger of committing adultery. God comes to the king and says, hey, um, let this man go back or let this wife go back to her husband and um, or otherwise I will judge you. And, and we'll look at their response here in a few minutes. And so Abraham has makes these assumptions um, he commits the sin based on fear. There is God's interaction in their lives. And, and then there's blaming. Um, Abraham blames God for this problem. Abraham blames God for his sin. After Abimelech is confronted by God and Abimelech goes and confronts Abraham, 
Uh, Abraham says in verse 11, beginning there, I said to myself, there is surely no fear of God in this place and they will kill me because of my wife. Um, There's the fear down to verse 13. And when God had me wander from my father's household, I said to her, who was Sarah, this is how we'll act in these strange lands. Did you catch that there? When God made me leave my house, this is the action I decided to take. I decided to sin when God made me leave. We've heard that before, haven't we? God, the woman you gave me caused me to sin. Oftentimes when we find ourselves in sin, even when it's our own decisions to get us into these sinful situations, we have a tendency to blame other people and ultimately blame God. You know, we say the devil made me do it, but what we're thinking is, you know what, God, if you hadn't put me in this situation, I wouldn't have made this bad decision. And so Abraham has this pattern here. He assumes the people of Canaan are evil. He's fearful for his own life and for Sarah's life. He lies. Then he faces the consequences of his lies. And then he blames God for the situation. It's a pattern that shows up at least for the second time that we know of in Abraham's life. And if we listen to his words to Sarah, hey, every time we run into somebody in this promised land, let's do this. Let's say you're my sister and you're not my wife. You know, the assumption is kind of there that this might have happened more than twice. And God might have rescued him from his own sin twice. Let me talk about the sister thing there for just a moment. This was before God had spoken the law in Leviticus about relationships between close relatives. I'm not necessarily excusing their action as as brother and half-sister, half-brother and half-sister. Um, But it's important for us to realize that God does oftentimes use sinful cultural patterns even for his own honor and for his own glory. And we're reminded that our Lord and Savior came from the line of Abraham. Um, But what I want us to, to consider here specifically is this pattern. We assume that the world around us is it works a certain way. Uh, Man, I'm really bad about this. I I have a tendency to take um, instances in culture and kind of universalize them that, hey, everybody who's outside the walls of this church, everybody who is outside the belief system of the Christian of Christianity, who who do not call Jesus their Lord and Savior. I I just automatically assume that they are pagans and they're going to treat me a certain way. And those assumptions cause fear in my heart, cause fear in my life, whether it's just just kind of going outside the walls of the church, the safe walls of my home, or, or whether it's going out to proclaim the fear is there. And so based upon that fear, I think, okay, the world's like this, and I'm not really sure I can trust God to help me because the world's like this, so I'm going to do things my own way. I'm going to take action in my own way and I am going to protect myself from the dangers of this world. I have a tendency to take a story like Andrew Brunson and say, oh, the the world's out to get me. I mean, look what Turkey's doing to Andrew Brunson. That same thing's going to happen to me because my neighbors are like the guy in Turkey and they're going to put me in jail. It's a little bit extreme, but not much the way my mind works, the way my heart thinks. And I take sinful action because of that. I take action not trusting God. I work on my own behalf to protect myself. Well, you know what? I'm not going to tell anybody I'm a preacher. I'm just uh, 
uh, I'm a teacher. Yeah, 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 I can tell people I'm a teacher. And then they ask, where do you teach? Well, it's a pulpit at the church in Fairly. <laughs> it's hard to get around that. And, and then when I get caught in the lie, I blame other people. I blame culture. I blame a hostile culture that may not even be hostile. I blame God. God, man, you know what? It'd be so much easier for me to proclaim the gospel in this culture if you hadn't made me a preacher. Because as soon as I say I'm a preacher, they start ignoring me. This would be a lot easier if you hadn't done this to me. Don't we all do that, though? It may not turn out as lying. It may not turn out as a fear. But we all have a pattern of sinfulness in our life. And this pattern is based upon assumptions of the world around us. This pattern is based on fear because of those assumptions. Our patterns are based on taking actions on our own without trusting God and then blaming others for our situation. The unfaithful spouse makes an assumption that the life could be better outside of the marriage. There's a fear that he's being held back by his spouse. And so he makes, an ass- he makes actions based upon that fear. I'm going to take matters into my own hands and I'm going to go find out what I'm missing in, missing out on. And then oftentimes when the adulterous spouse is caught, he blames his wife or he blames his mistress or he blames God for giving him that wife or putting him in the situation with the mistress. If we truly dug down into our own lives and analyzed our sinful habits, we would see a pattern. We would see a pattern that repeats itself over and over and over again in our sins, in our pursuit of our own glory, in the pursuit of dishonesty, in the pursuit of lust, in the pursuit of safety. We would see these sinful patterns and Brothers and sisters, that's a hard thing to see. It's a hard thing to have the light shined on because I like to think that I stumble accidentally into sin. But the reality is there are patterns that I have in my life that lead me to sin. They're broken patterns. They're patterns based on my own wisdom. They're patterns based upon my own glory. And God reaches into Abraham's life and He breaks those patterns. He reaches into the king of Gerar's life and He breaks those patterns. And we see as this story progresses that as God breaks in, Abimelech Abimelech is probably a title. We're going to meet another Abimelech in the life of Isaac. Uh, The sins of the father follow the son. Um, Isaac is going to do a very same thing with another man by the name of Abimelech later on in Isaac's life uh, with Rebekah. But God breaks into these patterns. He says, look, Abimelech, don't sin. And Abimelech doesn't. And he goes to Abraham. And Abraham says, yes, this is my pattern of sin. I made an assumption about you that was not true. And there is reconciliation and God even uses this to to lift Abraham's status, which is just odd to us. Abraham sins, Abraham falls, Abraham falters. And yet God being true to his promises to Abraham still lifts him up. 
And so out of these shocking, sinful patterns, we see God's gracious declaration. We see two gracious declarations that God gives, one to Abimelech and one to Abraham. What's the declaration that God gives to Abimelech? He says, I kept you from sinning. Abimelech appeals to God. He says, look, I have acted admirably and righteously in this situation. My hands are clean. I have not touched Sarah. Will you still punish me for that? And God says, no, I won't. But you need to understand it is I who kept you from sinning. We think about God's common grace upon those who do not believe in him. And we think about it oftentimes in terms of what we read in Matthew chapter 5. The sun shines on the righteous and the unrighteous. The rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. We think of all the good things that we have in this world that God brings to us oftentimes through unsaved people. And we call that common grace. But there's another aspect of common grace that we often forget. God says, I kept you from sinning. You realize that as bad as we think this world is, it could be far worse. As sinful as people are, they could be far more depraved and sinful and do far worse things to the other, their fellow human beings than they do because God keeps us from sinning. We talk about total depravity in the Reformed Church. And, and oftentimes that gets twisted to mean that, that I am preaching that we are as evil as we possibly could be. Total depravity doesn't mean that. Total depravity just means that we are sinful enough to earn God's displeasure against our sins. We're taught here and throughout Scripture that God restrains sin. We're not as sinful as we could be. But an even more astoundingly gracious declaration, other than God saying, I kept you from sinning, God says, go to Abraham, my prophet. What has Abraham just done? He sold his wife out for his own safety. He lied about who his wife was and the relationship that they had. He brought, almost brought judgment upon the city of Gerar. Does that sound like a prophet? No, not at all. How does God still call Abraham his prophet in the midst of these sinful patterns? Go back several chapters. Abraham believed God in what? It was credited to him as righteousness. Not a righteousness that went away. Not a righteousness that Abraham could remove from himself by his sin. But a righteousness before God. That even in the midst of his sin, God could look at Abraham and say, this man is my prophet. This man is the mediator for you of my blessing. This man is the means by which you and your city will find healing from this situation. Brothers and sisters, we forget that we are declared righteous before God. We have a tendency when we have the light of God's word shown in our lives on these sinful patterns, we have a tendency to sit there and go, you know what, I'm just a worm. How could God ever love me? Now, guilt in sin is good at times because it does turn us back to God, but Satan takes that guilt and turns it to shame. And he says, you know what, I'm worthless. I'm you're worthless. You're horrible. How could God love you because you're a sinner? 
And the reality is this here, Abraham lives out for us the reality at the end of Romans chapter eight. What can separate us from the love of God? Nothing, no power, no government, no principality, no angel. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is yours in Christ Jesus. In other words, once we are credited with righteousness, when we believe that righteousness is ours forever. And that righteousness says, hey, look, yeah, I stumble and fall. I've got these sinful patterns where out of fear, I rely upon myself. But I'm righteous. And so I can break those patterns by the power of the Holy Spirit without fear, because God has graciously declared that I am still his child, even in the midst of my sin. So we have seen the shocking sinful patterns. We have seen God's gracious declaration. And we also see the sovereign promise keeping God. Now, God shows Abraham and Sarah his power over human circumstances by shutting and opening the wombs of the women of Gerar. What was the last promise before this that Abraham and Sarah were given in chapter 18? In a year, I'll be back and Sarah will have a son. Sarah is what, 98 at this, at this point? 98 years old, Abraham's about 100, or she's about 80, 89, excuse me. Abraham's about 99. There's about 10 years between the two of them. We're going to find out, you know, we're going to remember from chapter 18 when we look at Isaac's birth next week that Abraham's like, things aren't working anymore. How am I going to have a kid? What does it say? With, with humans, things are impossible. With God, nothing is impossible. All things are possible with God. And Abraham here, even in the midst of his sin, even in the midst of endangering this, the seed of promise, even in the midst of endangering everything that God has promised to Abraham, he gives him another reminder. I'm in control over childbirth. Apparently they had been there. Sarah had been in Abimelech's harem long enough for people to begin notice, noticing that, hey, there's no more babies happening here. And God says, I'm in control of that. And he reminds Abraham and Sarah one more time that he is a sovereign God. He is a promise keeping God. Out of all this, out of these sinful patterns, out of God's gracious declaration, out of God's sovereign promises, we need to see several things. First off, we need to see that we don't deal well with the sin, with the shame of sin and the shame of our own sinfulness. We get beaten down oftentimes, especially when we see these patterns in our lives, especially when we see that those sins that we think we accidentally stumbled into. You know what? The, the patterns of our lives placed us right there. But we need to remember that we are declared righteous by God and we need to walk forward in our lives in the knowledge of that declaration. See, we are still God's children. The actions of the citizens of Gerar could not have separated Abraham from God's love. Neither could his own sins separate him from God's love. We have these patterns. We have these sins in our own lives. We try to break and to master sin, but oftentimes we are broken and enslaved by sin instead. And nothing can separate us from God's love. And secondly, in the light of this, 
We can know God's constant forgiveness and grace for our sins. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And tomorrow when that pattern leads me right back into the same sin that I asked that forgiveness for today, He's going to say, I am faithful and just to forgive you of all sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And Tuesday, when I find myself walking by that pattern right again into the same sin that I walked into today and tomorrow, I am faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And how do I know that? Because He's promised to. And He's given His Son as the surety of that promise. He's given the Spirit into my life to show me those sinful patterns. And to help me see where I fail in trusting Him. And to help me to see. And to help you to see. That by the power of the Holy Spirit, each and every one of us needs to learn to trust the sovereign, faithful God of an unfaithful people. Let us pray. Our Lord and Father above, how good it is to know that you are faithful to us. You are faithful and just to forgive each and every time we come to you. Lord, help us do the painful work of exposing the patterns in our lives, those well-worn trails to our favorite sins. Help us to stay away from them so that they begin to grow over and they are harder to find. And then show us even deeper trails in our lives that we may not realize exist. And fill us with the power and the joy and the peace of your spirit that carries us through the hard work of closing over these trails, of destroying these patterns so that we might trust you more and more. I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.